Some topics discussed on Blackbird and Advocacy Podcast can be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Blackbirds, it is Sarah back again with a new episode of Blackbird and Advocacy Podcast. As mentioned throughout this entire month, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, so I am bringing you all cases surrounding sexual assault. And today's case is no different. However, it is one of the most high-profile cases in recent months. It is a case that spans back to 1996, but a huge, huge development just came out. And I am talking about the Kristen Smart case. Kristen Denise Smart was born February 20th, 1977 in West Germany. Her parents, Stan and Denise, were both teachers uh, to children of American military personnel. So she moved around a lot, uh, but she was born in West Germany. When she was a child, the family moved to Stockton, California, and California is where our case takes place. In 1995, Kristen graduated from Lincoln High School and set her sights on California Polytechnic State University. She was a freshman there in 1996, which is where our case begins. Memorial Day weekend, Kristen went out for a birthday party for one of her friends at one of the fraternity houses on campus. This was May 25th, 1996. Her friends did not want to go to the party with her, but they ended up dropping her off at the party to go alone. About two in the morning, she was found passed out on the lawn of a neighbor by two fellow students from California Polytechnic, Cheryl Anderson and Tim Davis. They had also just left the same party and they knew Kristen. So they helped her up and they decided they were going to help her walk back to her dorm, which was close enough to where she had been found. Another student at the party, Paul Flores, so that name might sound familiar to you guys right now, Paul Flores also joined them in bringing Kristen back to her dorm, but he insisted that the other two return to whatever they were doing originally and that he would be the sole person to bring Kristen back to her dorm. Flores was the last known person to see Kristen presumably alive. And I say presumably because we will we'll get into that. He told police that he had walked Kristen as far as his dorm building, Santa Lucia Hall, and told her to continue the walk back to her own dorm on her own. So that sounds kind of fishy and weird to me because A... Um, why, if you insisted that you were going to walk her back completely to her dorm, 
why would you stop at a certain point and say, okay, now you're on your own. This is where I am and I'm just going to leave you. That seems really strange. And secondly, the fact that he stopped at his dorm and that seemed to be the last time that he saw her, um, you know, he he may have brought her up into the dorm with him. And yes, that was indeed the last time that he saw her. But he's he's twisting the facts and he's saying, oh, yeah, no, we stopped here. But then I let her her go on her way by herself. It's just it's a little iffy. And I'm pretty sure the police caught on to that and thought that things were a little strange from his story. Now, at this point, nobody else saw Kristen. This was the last time that anybody saw Kristen. She had essentially just disappeared. And originally, university police actually thought that Kristen had gone on a vacation that she just didn't tell anybody about, uh, which apparently was common for students to do over the holidays. So because this was Memorial Day weekend, they assumed that she must have just gone away for the holiday and just either forgot to or just didn't tell anybody that she was going. And that was that was what happened. That's where she went. That's why she was not able to be found at that time. This also resulted in reporting her as a missing person to local law enforcement very, very slowly because, again, they just assumed that she's, you know, an 18, 19 year old girl and she must just be on a little a little trip. However, people who knew her and um, the fact that she didn't come back after the holiday weekend it raised suspicions that she did not just go on a vacation and that she indeed was missing and that foul play was suspected. Beginning on June 29th, 1996. So this is now finally about a month after the last sighting of Kristen. And again, remember that the campus police thought that she was potentially on a vacation. So again, this is why it took so long to report that she was indeed a possible missing person. There was a massive campus search. And from that point forward, there had been a multitude of searches in order to try to find Kristen. The original search, which took place June 29th through 30th of 1996, included almost 400 volunteers to search the California Polytechnic campus. This included also uh, dogs who were trained to search for human remains, and they searched Paul Flores's dorm room at Santa Lucia Hall, which makes a ton of sense because he claims that's the last time he ever saw her. That's the, the last location where he saw her. And so the dogs immediately went to a mattress in the room and showed interest in a garbage can that had been left there. However, of course, Flores and his roommate had actually moved out of the room prior to campus investigators securing it on June 10th, 1996. So... Flores last saw Kristen on May 25th, and he 
dropped her off essentially outside of his dorm room, which is the last place that he saw her. And then two weeks roughly later, he moves out of his dorm. Also sounds super suspicious. So the radar is going off about this guy and police really were like zoning in on him, especially now after these dogs had sensed some sort of smell or scent in his room that was potentially from Kristen. And because of their suspicions of Flores, they didn't then did a search in July of 1996 at the Flores home, but did not find anything that would be cause for them to believe he was part of this. After almost a year of searching for Kristen, they still were not finding anything that was leading to her whereabouts or a specific reason to find Flores as their main suspect. So March 3rd, 1997, authorities searched the property that belonged to Flores's parents on request of an attorney who represented Kristen's parents. And of course, unfortunately, they did not find anything there that led to anything new. Another search happened in May 7th of 1999. So now we're three years into this search for Kristen. Sheriff's deputies following up on leads that the department received sifted through dirt under the Student Academic Services Building at the campus. Of course, again, unfortunately, nothing new was found at that search. Then another year later, June 19th, 2000, another search was conducted. They searched for buried evidence at Flores's mother's home using ground penetrating radar and again came up empty. However, they did find what could have possibly been one of Kristen's earrings, but they did not mark it in as evidence, and it unfortunately since has been lost by police. So they really do not know if that was any significant evidence. And unfortunately, due to faulty police work, they never for some reason put it into evidence and then lost it. So that could have been a helpful lead, but unfortunately, they kind of screwed up and we don't know for sure if that earring did indeed belong to Kristen. In 2002, on the sixth anniversary of Kristen's disappearance, she was declared legally dead. There was no body, but because she had been gone for so long and all of these investigations and searches came up empty, they believed she was probably not coming back and if they found her she was not going to be alive and therefore declared her legally dead 20 years after the disappearance of Kristen 
investigators decided to do an excavation search at the California Polytechnic Institute to see if maybe her remains were on the premises. While they did not find her remains, they did say they found items of interest. However, they did not inform the press of what those items specifically were or how they were of interest to the case. Now, another piece of really interesting true crime information for the true crime fanatics out there. Um, During the investigation for Kristen, police actually questioned Scott Peterson as a potential person of interest. Um, This was also during the murder investigation of his wife, Lacey Peterson. And apparently he and Kristen were simultaneously um, on campus at Cal Poly together for, you know, different reasons, but they were, they, there may never have been any communication being the, between the two, but because they were both on the same campus at the same time and Scott was under investigation for the disappearance and uh, murder of his wife, they investigated him and quickly were able to rule him out as a suspect. So now we fast forward to September 30th, 2019. Chris Lambert decided to bring us a an eight-part podcast series surrounding the Kristen Smart case. And because of him doing this podcast, there was renewed interest by the public in the Kristen Smart case, which now garnered over six million downloads of the podcast. So because of renewed public interest, they wanted answers. And so the investigation started picking up again. And there was a billboard that was put up in Royal Grande in January of last year to replace the original that had been up since 1997. So people came together and really wanted to get answers and try to finally find out what happened to Kristen and get some some sort of justice and some sort of closure for her family. On February 5th, 2020, San Luis Obispo County Sheriff's deputies and the FBI actually served search warrants at four separate locations, including the home of Paul Flores and the home of his mother. They detained Flores in a police vehicle and questioned him for about two hours. And after signing some paperwork and finishing their search, they let him go. And then another year goes by and we get caught up in the pandemic and everything that is happening in the world and in the United States with so many things going on with with law enforcement and and the pandemic itself. So things probably kind of slowed a little bit and um, maybe came to a halt for a little bit of time. However, we now come into 2021 and as of April 15th, so this is only a couple of weeks ago, they formally charged Paul Flores with first degree murder in connection with Kristen Smart's 
death. They announced the charges after new evidence recently came to light in the case. They did not say what that evidence specifically was, but they did say that it was evidence pertaining to the location where where Kristen had been taken. However, her remains still had not been found at that time. Also in connection, they arrested Ruben Flores, who is Paul Flores's father, with being an accessory to the murder and that he allegedly helped conceal her body. Investigators had searched Flores's father's property with ground penetrating radar and found items of evidence both inside and outside the residence and in the ground. So they found very particular items that led them to obtain arrest warrants for both Flores Sr. and Flores Jr. And so now you're probably asking, why are we talking about this case during Sexual Assault Awareness Month? And there is a very important reason. According to District Attorney of San Luis Obispo, Dan Dow, there are allegations that Flores attempted to rape Kristen the night of her disappearance. And although the statute of limitations has expired for the sexual assault charges, so they cannot formally charge him with sexual assault, Murder committed in the course of rape or attempted rape justifies a first degree felony charge, which is why he is charged with what he is charged with. So he probably, again, we're, I'm presuming because we don't know the facts of the case yet, the trial has not happened yet. He probably brought her back to his dorm, which he claims he dropped her off outside of it. But we we know that he probably brought her up into his room specifically. He probably attempted to rape her. She probably tried to fight him off and he ended up killing her instead because either he got so angry or it was just an accident, whatever the case is. However, because it was in the course of attempting to rape, he is charged with first degree murder. And because of this arrest, more information about Paul Flores has come out. We have learned from new news that 14 years ago, police in, a, in Redondo Beach were called to a hospital where a woman had come for a sexual assault kit because she had woken up in a stranger's bed with no memory of what happened, and she was completely naked. She had gone to the hospital because she believed that she had been raped. And the sexual assault examination actually confirmed that she did indeed have sex with somebody, and the DNA profile from that kit was uploaded to a law enforcement database. And a few years later, a hit came, and that matched Paul Ruben Flores, the same man who is now set to go to trial for the murder 
of Kristen Smart. So if he completed a rape years ago, it would not be a surprise to anybody that he attempted to rape Kristen. However, of course, he was never actually charged with the rape of this woman. Whether it be because they didn't have sufficient evidence or maybe the woman decided she just didn't want to press charges, whatever the case is, he was essentially allowed to continue doing this. So he rapes and kills somebody in 1996 and gets away with it, (laughs) essentially. They had him on their radar for so long, but nothing was coming of it to formally arrest him and formally charge him. So he continued to go on this path of complete destruction and just did whatever he felt he wanted to do because there was no consequence for it. So he ended up raping this woman and no charges were brought against him for it. So again, he just kind of kept going down this path and no consequences came aside from now finally when he was found to be the prime suspect and they finally were able to get an arrest warrant for him for Kristen's murder in 1998 which was two years after Kristen disappeared Flores was arrested in Huntington Beach on suspicion of assault with a deadly weapon other than a firearm And he wasn't prosecuted because of lack of evidence. And even with his criminal history and the fact that his DNA was a match to the sexual assault of this woman who had gone to the hospital in 2007, he's actually been suspected of assaulting multiple women. But it seems in every case there tends to be a lack of evidence. And... In the case of the woman in 2007, the lack of evidence, I'm going to assume, is probably because, yes, his DNA was found on her, but it's probably going to be something of a he said, she said case, which is garbage. (laughs) The fact that she went to the hospital and has shown that she indeed was blacked out the night before and had sex with somebody that should be enough to arrest that person because again consent 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 you cannot consent when you are intoxicated when you are blacked out when you don't even know what happened the night before but as we have seen in way too many of these When it comes to drinking alcohol, a lot of people are not going to believe the victim and they are just going to say, well, what did you expect was going to happen? Or now you're just ashamed that it happened. So you are calling rape because you didn't want it to happen after the fact. But at least now people understand what kind of person Paul is what kind of monster he has been for so many years. And hopefully he is put away for a very long time. Hopefully he is convicted of this. But please, just it's it's another just 
believe survivors. Believe them when they say that they have been sexually assaulted. It is so uncommon for people to lie about sexual assault. Believe them. The woman who he allegedly sexually assaulted in 2007 said that she typically consumed the same amount of alcohol that evening as she had normally in other times of her life where she has never blacked out like that before. She believes that she had ingested something that was not part of her normal regime, which means he may have drugged her. So I don't know what kind of evidence otherwise was was collected in that sexual assault kit. A lot of times if there is a possibility of being drugged, they will take blood and do a tox screen. I am going to assume that that is not what happened that night. So we unfortunately will never know if he indeed did drug her in order to incapacitate her, in order to rape her. But I wholeheartedly believe that she was raped that night and that he should have been brought up on charges despite the quote unquote lack of evidence. There was enough evidence to prove that he had sex with her and if she is saying that she blacked out like that. We need to believe her. When it comes to other cases, people believe when a complaining witness says that something happened to them, whether it be a robbery or some other assault, just, you know, a physical assault, something like that. But when it comes to sexual assault, people have a very, very hard time believing survivors and victims when they come forward saying that this particular thing happened to them. And we really need to change that. We need to change the mindset. And I sound like a broken record, I know. But that is what this is about. We really need to change the rape culture and the way that society thinks about rape and sexual assault. And we need to be more on the side of the victim than on the side of the perpetrator. So with that, I'm going to close out today's episode. Of course, when we hear more about the Kristen Smart case, we will bring you as much information as possible about it. When we know a trial date or when the trial begins, we will, of course, bring you information about that he has pleaded not guilty so there should be a trial in the future he is not taking any sort of plea deal at least right now if you or someone you know would like to share a story on blackbird you can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com if you are a victim of sexual violence please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, or you can go to their website at rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. It will, of course, be in the show notes, as it is every week. And I will, of course, also add in all the references for today's episode. 
I hope that you will tune in tomorrow for our big 50th episode. It is going to be a shorter episode, but it's an important one. And I really hope that you all listen to it. And I hope that you get to take something away from it. You can find us on all of our socials and reach out to us there, as well as finding all of our podcast platforms on our bite size at B-Y-T-E-S-I-Z-E dot M-E slash Blackbird Advocacy. And so until tomorrow, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings, continue to social distance, and of course, please get vaccinated when you can. Thanks.